0: i
1: A Radio Manea. My name is Vera Valletti-Flores. And I'm Miriam Soyla Perez. And we are two Latinx friends with wildly different music tastes. And each week we bring you music from the Latinx artists that we love. And this week we're really excited to bring you an episode that is a little bit of uh, Latinx music history. This one's mm-hmm. going to be all about the legacy of Fania. Yes, such... All-stars, literally. (laughs) (laughs) Literally Mm all-stars. Yes, that's right. So um, for those of y'all who might not know, Fania is a legendary record label that was founded in New York City in 1964, and so we're going to spend most of our time today talking about artists. Um, that came up through that label and sort of the ways that they shaped music both in the United States and across Latin America.
2: Um, Yeah, I mean I think salsa is definitely at the Venn diagram of things that you and I love um, and it also is just a huge influence on so much of the music that we listen to even that um, where you might not even realize kind of the ways in which it's it's infiltrated and it's influenced.
1: Totally. Well, that's a really good segue because it's including this song, right? This song is by mm-hmm. the Fania All-Stars, right? Which is a collection of the record label's um, biggest stars at the time, right? And the song is called Quitate Tu. I love this song mm-hmm. basically because as a person of, like, my generation who's, mm-hmm. you know, way more connected to reggaeton um, in, like, the way that it was happening and coming up than, say, like, 70s New York Salsa. Right. Um, in that way, I was familiar with uh, Los Doce Discípulos version mm-hmm. of this way before I knew about the Funny All-Stars version mm-hmm. of Pita de Tu. Right. So... If you don't know, Doce Discipulos was a various artists record, um, a reggaeton record released in 2004, with what at the time were like the 12 like heaviest hitters of reggaeton, right? These folks mm-hmm. are legends, people like Diego Calderón, Ivy Queen, mm-hmm. Biko C, um, mm-hmm. Zion y Lennox, right? And they mm-hmm. have a song called Quítate Tu Para Ponerme Yo. And if yep, you'll yep. notice, like, that's the chorus of this song, right? right? And I think it's just such a testament to how influential Fania is, yeah. right? And, like, these guys, like these like the Fania all-stars, right? Because mm-hmm. they, you know, like, they were New York Puerto Ricans mostly, right? Like, there's other folks that were part of the Latino diaspora that sort of found themselves in New York City. But at the time, the Latino diaspora in New York was really Puerto Rican. Mm-hmm. And um, and yeah, it was young people that were influenced by what was going on around them to create something new, right? Yeah. In a similar way to how reggaeton came up, right? So mm-hmm. it's just... I mean, to me, when I listen to this song and I also listen to the Doce Discipulos version of Quítate Tú, it's just like this really beautiful parallel, right? In the same ways that young people take music that is um, part of like what is part of their everyday and what they're listening to and mix it with the stuff that they are hearing all around them and, like, what's coming up in youth culture at the time and create something completely new that starts, like, this, like, sort of worldwide Latino music movement, right? right. Like, those things both, like, they're, like, those are the stories of both reggaeton and of salsa, right? right? And, it, and I think that yeah. this, like, them doing Quitate Tu, is such a, it, it's just so beautiful to me that, to to think about, like, those two parallels. Yeah. And, yeah, I love it so much. It's interesting, because
2: it wasn't until we started doing this episode that I really, you know, I, I didn't really, like, totally understand that salsa was a creation of the 70s, you know, because to me, salsa is so classic, and, like, I think some of the things that I think, I would call salsa or not salsa. They're like son or montuno, things that like predated salsa and salsa borrowed from and and mm-hmm. used, right? So I think in some ways mm-hmm. I'm like conflating a bunch of things that aren't actually the same um, genre. But also it's an age thing, right? That for us things that were from the '70s are classics, even though they're right. not really totally that all, because we are the children of like the '80s and '90s, right? And so that was the music absolutely that we heard that wasn't like contemporary. Really, it was it was at that point it had been it was a decade or two old. And then, yeah, to see, you know, the incredible ways in which the artists now are borrowing from and using and taking these rhythms, but in a different direction, I think it's just really cool. So to think about like, oh, my parents were feeling the same way maybe about salsa and Fania that we're feeling about reggaeton, right? It's like, oh, these are our peers making something new out of what our parents listened to, you know? It's just
1: kind Mm -hmm, of, mm -hmm. it's cool to think about. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I think I think what's really cool about Fania and maybe it's because I have a love for New York City that is deep and enduring, but yeah. I think it's just like it's so very specifically New York, right? Like there's some yeah. things that happen like like Bougaloo, like that, like can only happen in a place where like all of these very specific diasporas mix up and come up together, right? Like right. the legacy of Fania is like the legacy of New York and the diaspora and young people um, Mm. who shaped what Latino music became then and really, Mm -hmm. like, is now, right? Because... Um, when Fania started up, like, Latino music was synonymo- synonymous in the United States with, like, Cuban big band, right? Like, yeah, right. And that was what was popularized and exported. And, like, you know, before the revolution, Cuba was, like, this huge uh, tourist destination right. and people would go and see the big bands and they'd want to, like... like
2: At the Copacabana, right? Which I saw in Cuba. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah.
1: people would want to, like, listen to it, like, when they Mm -hmm. came home. Like, I, like, think of, for example, like, Ricky Ricardo from I Love Lucy, right? Which is, like, you know, like, this big band, the frilly sleeves, like, this whole, like, very specific thing that, like, people are, like, looking for. And right. you know, like not not just Latino people, but like a lot of white people in the U.S. Yeah. listen to that. Oh, you know, I
2: think the audience of that show was white Americans. It was not. An yeah, audience, yeah. Right. I mean, that was like what Lucille Ball kind of offered. I mean, I'm sure there were also Cubans. I know my dad like loves that show or loved that show. Right. So right. So there are Cubans, but I feel like they were really speaking to like a white American audience. Totally. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And um, so, so yes, I think that that's like one really incredible thing. And I feel like just thinking about the ways that, that, that all came up is so, so super cool.
2: For sure, for sure.
1: Yeah, and basically, so they took, like, Cuban music, right? Like, this is, like, a bunch of Puerto Ricans, like, who, like, were familiar with Cuban music and because some that Dominicans was, like... Pl- too. Yeah, <laughs> some Dominicans, like, there's, like, a also, like, <laughs> yeah, Ruben Blas is Panamanian, like, right. later on, like, later on Celia came in, she's Cuban, yeah. right? Like, right. But, like, they, like, sort of, like, took what was, like, around them as, like, this is, like, the music that our parents listened to, this is the music we grew up with. Um, And they changed the arrangements a little bit by like incorporating what was around them, right? Like a little rock and roll, like definitely like some R&B, right? Like these folks were mostly living, like some in the Bronx, a lot in East Harlem, which is Mm -hmm. in Spanish Harlem, also known as Spanish Harlem, you know, like right next Mm -hmm. to... Harlem, right? like regular Harlem, which is mm-hmm. like like a has black like, Harlem. yeah, Black Harlem, like historically, mm-hmm. not that like Latinx people weren't black, black and a lot of people yeah. who were part of this were, but like, yep. you know, like that has, like Harlem has such a huge part in like American black culture, yeah. right? Um like yep. it's where it's where so much of it was happening. And so mm-hmm. like being literally neighbors has so much to do with even with like how all of this came up and then they and they called it yeah. salsa, right? Right. And so like a, a label that started in the 60s with like one Puerto Rican dude and one like Italian dude, Italian American dude yeah, who like put mm-hmm. up all the money basically. Right. Yeah. Um like became so huge and like by the 70s they were on top of the world, right? Like playing Yankee Stadium, like playing like huge numbers um across the world right like right, right. in yeah yeah so yep. it's it's completely wild how like that's that's how that happens and right and it, we're, it's like how it's things that we still see happening today yeah. right like groups mm-hmm. of kids who are like this is this is the music that we want to make like this is the, the music that speaks to us and ends up speaking to so many more
2: yeah Let's get into the next song and then we can keep talking. There's so yeah, much more yeah. to share about Fania. So this is my pick. Um, this song is by Ruben Blades, the uh, Panamanian guy we were talking about, who's one of the founders. And this song is called Pedro Navaja.
3: Por la esquina del viejo barrio, lo vi pasar con el tumbao que tienen los guapos al caminar. Las manos siempre en los bolsillos de su gabán, pa' que no sepan en cuál de ellas lleva el puñal. Usa un sombrero de ala ancha de medio lado y zapatillas por si hay problemas salir volado. Lentes oscuros pa' que no sepan que está mirando. Y un diente de oro que cuando ríe se ve brillando Como a tres cuadras de aquella esquina Una mujer va recorriendo la acera entera por quinta vez Y en un saguá entra y se da un trago para olvidar Que el día está flojo y no hay clientes para trabajar Un para Pasa muy despacito por la avenida. No tiene marcas, pero todos saben que es policía. Mm. Pedro navaja, las manos siempre dentro al gabán. Mira y sonríe y el diente de oro vuelve a brillar.
2: So this song is really classic. I think a lot of people know it. Um, it's also epic. It's like eight minutes long, and it's it's a story. It really tells a story in the song, um, and it's it's based on "Mac the Knife," which is a song from the '50s, an American song, but it's remade in you know in, in a salsa style and in Spanish language by Ruben Blades and Willie Colon, who's another one of the funnier guys who's in who's like collaborates on so many of. Um, the music of that era because he was the instrumental kind of piece of it and then he had different vocalists that he worked with and this is from an mm-hmm. album called um, *Poeta del Pueblo and I think you know one of the, the threads here and one of the things that made Fania different which maybe I didn't really see from my vantage point until thinking about it for this episode is like they're really talking about like pretty violent like gritty sort of intense stuff in a lot of their songs that came from their experiences in new york city yeah and so this is one of the examples of that the story of mac the knife he's like a panderer and there's like a lot of violence and it just sort of like plays out in all those different ways um and so i think i don't know what you think vero but i see that also in reggaeton right that that was part of what made reggaeton kind of subversive or or even seen as um and i don't know if fania had the same response but you know that there's a lot of a marginalization of reggaeton by the mainstream because it's seen as too vulgar or too dirty or too violent or these different things that um, that I think this music also has some of that in, in it as well that maybe was a departure from some of the music that they were inspired by in Cuba or other places.
1: Yeah, yeah. Rubén Blades really started to bring that, like... Um, like, the social aspects, right, of, of yep. like, w- of the songs, right? Like, he started talking about society and people and, um, and you know, I was watching this um, one-hour PBS special on Fania, basically. It's on Salsa, but it's on Fania because mm-hmm. Fania is so important to that story. And um, y'all should watch it. It's, uh, there's, like, several episodes on, like, Latino music. It's on PBS. You can find it online. Um, and Ruben Blades was talking about how so he was like a lawyer in mm-hmm. Panama right and he came to the United yeah. States and he like wanted to be a part of Fania so bad like that he was like do you all have any sort of jobs and it's like there was like a job in the mail room and mm. he like took a job in the mail room at Fania and wow. like then like it paid wow. off he like found his way he like needed any kind of in and he found his way in and everybody was like yo, you're a lawyer, what are you doing working at the Strucker Label Mailroom? Um, but it really paid off, and he was the one that really, like, started doing all of these, like, songs that really touched on social issues. Right. Um, like this one, like, Pedro Navajo, which is a, such a classic now.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, he actually ran for president at some point of Panama, um, but did not win. But, yeah, he has this mm-hmm. real intense reputation as, a, as an activist, and I... Um, I, like, remember his, I mean, as soon as I saw his name on the funny list, I was like, right, like, I remember listening to his music growing up, and then, this yeah, is really yeah. random, but, like, last night, I was doing the, the research for this episode, and, you know, picked the song, and whatever, and then I was driving somewhere, and I was listening to a podcast, and he was the guest on the podcast, it was, like, oh, cool. such a weird moment, and it wasn't a <laughs> podcast about music at all, it's a podcast called, um, This Movie Changed Me? Which is from like the On Being Studios, which um, they have a bunch of different podcasts, and it's actually hosted by a uh, Colombian American woman, Lily Percy. Um, mm. and it doesn't, it doesn't usually have like let's, you know, themes at all, but he was a guest on the show because she like loved his music growing up and he talked about, um, so I learned a little bit more about him and his activism and they talk about a movie that, that he was really influenced by called the Oxbow incident that I'd like never even heard of. That's like a Western, but anyway, it was just like one of those really weird, random moments. Interesting. I was, like, literally just researching you. And then I turn on a random podcast. It didn't even say his name in the, in the description. And there you are. <laughs> like,
1: what? <laughs> Super cool. <laughs>
2: um, so he's still doing the thing. Um, and yeah, they talked a lot about activism and how that kind of played in. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I think this, th- he's not the only one, right, that brings in these themes. Um, I mean, the, the album cover of one of the songs that you're going to bring, I think it's the Che Che Cole song, also has like an intense scene on it where there's like a body like wrapped up in like cloth and then somebody yeah different.
1: yeah that was less like a, about like social justice and more about like you know what was cool in the 70s and like in right. the 60s and 70s like gangster culture and like trying right. to what, like like right. the youth appeal of that and right. like yeah that, that part of it is yeah. what is going on right? right about right, yeah
2: right I mean that's I think that's actually what this he's an activist but this song I don't actually think is an activist song this song is actually just a story of like you know, a particular person who's like, you know, doing crime in his neighborhood. Like this is Mac the Knife, right? Like I don't think this, this particular song of his doesn't necessarily um, distribute, like display his social justice or activist bent. I think it's more in that world of like gangster culture and wanting to represent that in their music. And then, but making it particularly like changing the the context of it to fit their lives and what they were growing up with in New York and like this idea of gangster mm-hmm. culture. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't think this song has like a super strong, um, activist tone to it, but other stuff that he does, does have that. And it's definitely been a huge part of his like career. And he's been really outspoken about Latin America and different social justice mm-hmm. issues and things like Absolutely, that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you saw this. Um, if you, you have kind of mentioned this in your notes as well, Vito, but the sort of legal battles that came out of Fania. Cause I saw yeah, some mention I of mean, that. There with, were a
1: lot of legal battles. Yeah. I think so. Like, Basically, one thing that I saw was that um the white dude, like, the Italian-American guy um who founded it, like, basically, like, wrote all the contracts and, like, sort of, like, wrote them all in his favor, right? Like, he, like, put up the money to start Fania and, like, basically, like you know, thought he should benefit the most, or I don't know, but, like, a lot of his artists weren't getting paid the same way that he was, right? Mm. Like, he, would like, had such a intense hold on, like, on all of the, um, the copyright and um, the, like, just, like, all of it, all of the stuff, right? And, like, there's people who were really influential to, like, writing the songs and arrangements and all of that who, like, basically died poor um mm-hmm. and and so i'm not surprised to hear that there were legal battles and um and you know like as as the label sort of their demise later on
2: right i mean they're still around
1: yeah they had a rebirth like somebody yeah. bought the label in 2005 and it was revived right. in 2006 and like now there's like a whole host of of like other artists like some yeah. of which um you know like are like bigger and some of which are smaller Right. um on on like the new set of fania folk label yeah
2: yeah yeah what i saw was something about a legal battle actually between blades and colon in like 20 2004 around contracts and disputes and things like that um Mm -hmm. but it sounds like it may have been resolved because they performed together in 2012 there was like a reunion concert oh, that good. happened so <laughs> so hopefully they've made up because yeah all these guys are still around like they're there's yeah, a few yeah. of them who are um i think pacheco maybe is in his 80s but everybody else is like still around still doing their thing so yeah I mean, not totally. everybody obviously celia is not around but some right of these original and not guys. all of
1: them like hector lavo right but like a lot of right. them are yeah it's mm-hmm. like they, yeah. they're not that old they're like old but like yeah alive yeah yeah so what's your next song my next song is one that I love so much. This song is called Che Che Cole mm-hmm. and it's by Hector Lavoe and Willie Colon. Artists Like, Héctor Lavo and Willie Colón are probably some of the most well-known artists from Fania at this time. I mean, Mm -hmm. Héctor Lavo, I think, was, like, the shining jewel of Fania, like, when it started coming up. Like, one of the bigger artists there. And Mm -hmm. um, if uh, you all probably know, there's a movie made about him. Mark Anthony played him, played Mm Héctor Lavo in El Cantante, and J-Lo was his wife in it and um, it's sort of you like know, an autobiographical it's... movie about yeah. about Hector Lobo, and we've we've brought Hector Lobo before and talked about him um, but yeah and this is uh, with Willy Colong and Um, these guys are just, like, legends, and I know that we're, we're basically saying that about everyone involved with Fania this time. (laughs) Because they are all legends. Uh, Because they are, right? Like, they, I I feel like this was, like, a legendary moment in music for Latinx people, and Fania, like, had such a huge cultural impact, and everybody that was part of this, like, really did a huge, uh, like, had a huge part in shaping what Latinx music is today. Mm. Um and this song this song just has a special place in my heart like how can you not dance to this right like yeah. when it's i feel starting, that about most of these songs yeah, yeah like when it's just starting like i hear the piano riff and i'm like just like yes and then the horns hit and i'm just like ah like mm. there's no there's no choice you've got to move your hips you've got to dance And um, another thing that, and what I love about this song really is that it's basically a song like honoring the African roots of Latin American dances, Mm. right? Like it's talking about like, vamos todos a bailar el estilo africano, and it names like Bomba, it names Baquine. And it says, you know, Mm. lo bailan en Venezuela, lo bailan en Panamá, este ritmo es africano y donde sea va a acabar. So it's like Mm. really um, not afraid to show homage to the fact that like so many of like our cultural traditions in Latin America are the legacy of people who were brought here and kidnapped from Africa Mm -hmm. and enslaved. And whose, like, musical legacy lives on in all of our music through our drums and through our dances and all that stuff. Yeah. So.
2: And a lot of the, I mean, a lot of the Fania guys are Afro. Yep. Latino. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'd say a good percentage of them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Um, And it's funny because, like, usually when I bring songs, like, try to think about, like, when did I come across this? Like, when did I listen to this? And it's, like, a lot of these songs, I'm just, like, I'm not really sure. When, you know, like in some, in some ways it feels like they've always been there for me, but like, Mm -hmm. um, just like in the air, right? Like my parents, I've talked about this before, weren't like big, like music listeners really. Um, so it's just like what I picked up around or like, you know, like definitely at the very least, like when I was like 18 and 19 and going to salsa clubs, you know, very regularly, um these were starting to like at the very least then they were definitely coming into right. uh, my radar and you know probably before because these are just like a- again like these folks were huge um globally right and um they were like like I said like in New York City they sold out Yankee Stadium like. They uh, played for, like, 80,000 people in what was then known as Zaire. Now it's Mm -hmm. the Democratic Republic of Congo. But, Mm -hmm. like, they were, like, all across Latin America. Um, So their music is really huge. It, like, was really huge globally. And also, like, they didn't really make a dent in the United States, right? So while they were selling out stadiums in... Uh, in Asia and Africa and and uh, Europe and Latin America, like the U.S. would like not really pay attention, right? Like they mm. like tried to have like this movie or documentary and it like didn't really make a stir in the United States. And it just sort of reminds me of the ways that Latino music in the U.S. is still consumed, right? Like right. where it's just right. like there are these artists that are like global phenomenons. And if you ask like your average listener in the United States, like they won't know who they are right like people like even like people like jay balvin right who's like has huge hits across the globe and like is doing all these world tours and like most people in the united states like are just like unwilling to listen to any right. music that's not in english
2: but i mean the reggaeton now are selling out everywhere like i'm gonna get to see this fall i'm gonna see balvin and osuna in greensboro north carolina like, so, yeah. and like, I'm I'm sure it will probably be close to sold out. So I think that's shifting a little bit. I think what I happened... I mean, yes, and because
1: those of, are probably going to be mostly Latinos there.
2: Yeah, I, right. I think the difference is immigration. Yeah, I mean, I think the right. difference is, I mean, Fania was happening in the 70s, right? And there were particular, there had been particular waves of immigration leading up to the 70s, but the 80s and 90s was the huge wave of immigration from central, like, Mexico and Central America. And I right. think that... That's who's in Greensboro, you know, that's, and those Mm -hmm. folks were not there when Fania was doing their thing. So I'm sure Fania was doing well in like Miami and New York and maybe in LA or something, but not, yeah, not in Greensboro, North Carolina, you know? So I think that's, um, you're right. It's still like within the like Latino community mostly. Um, I don't think it's necessarily like crossed over which like I'm I don't know I think I'm yeah okay with. whatever I like <laughs> i like, it's fine it's I feel fine.
1: like I'm t- I, like I don't I'm tired of waiting for yeah. that you know like I don't give I don't, a shit yeah. like this and thing I've can worried. be for us right like
2: yeah right and I worry that it would change things in a way that like I wouldn't be happy with you know like when uh, yeah like when shocking. Prince Royce <laughs> you know when Prince Royce was yeah shocking, or Prince Royce was opening for Ariana Grande you know and doing like these like not what I didn't think were very good like English crossovers so you know yeah like, I don't I'm good. Like it's fine. Yeah. It's um, fine. Yeah, but that point you're making about like where are you listening to music, I think is a imp- important one. And like for me, you know, in some ways I'm kind of grateful that I grew up like that we had discs bands and stuff, but it wasn't as there wasn't as much technology that like kind of allowed me to create my own world, um, musically. And so I have, was like listening to the stuff my dad was playing on the car stereo, yeah. you know, and I'm kind mm-hmm. of grateful for that, I think, because I, I wasn't into it then, you know, and I don't know that it would have been yeah. able to influence me or reach me if I had been just like, I've got my headphones on, I'm listening to whatever, you know, my friends are listening to. So, right, um, right. so yeah, it's, it's really, I mean, it's really my parents were just so immersed in music as part of their own experience mm-hmm. in the diaspora. And so. This is definitely, I don't remember like when, but I'm like, I know these songs. You know, like these songs. Yeah, so classic, yeah, exactly. So.
1: All right, what's next?
2: Yeah, so we've got, um, I've got a song by Celia Cruz and Willie Colon called Apaga la Luz.
0: Apaga la Luz. De infortunio de aquellos que sufren, trabaja, trabaja y trabaja, y no ven el fruto por enfermedad o estado social, por su valor, su raza o su religión, apaga la luz. al anochecer. A esos que la vida nunca sonreído, que luchan y luchan y luchan sin nada lograr, bien aventurados serán porque han conseguido la fe y la fortuna que no tienen otros. Apaga la luz que quiero rezar por nosotros. Apaga.
2: So one of the things I was disappointed about not surprised by in, in just, like, looking at the list of folks who've been involved in Fania in the past um, is I think she's the only mujer. Like, I literally didn't see one other name of someone that I think is a woman. So it was, like, 100%, like, all men involved in Fania, which I, like, know shouldn't be surprising, but it's still really disappointing to me that it was that. I mean, they we're literally talking about, like, 20 to 30 people across time who were involved in this particular world of music. And literally she's like the only woman like that's just wild.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And also like Celia was brought on. Celia was brought on really later on. Yeah. Like, really, like just like later on really when she was famous, she was huge already. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. it wasn't like yeah. she came up with the guys. Like she no, was like, she all. was like a huge asset at the point yeah. that she came on. Yeah.
2: Yeah, clearly women, like, weren't given opportunity because, like, come on, there are obviously women singing and playing music and they just, I mean, clearly weren't given an opportunity in this particular world. So, yeah, this song is from 1981. I mean, we've had her on the show so many times. She's such a legend. Um, I don't know that there's much more to say about her, but I picked this one um, because it wasn't one that I, like, was super familiar with, but really enjoyed the sound. And again, like Veto said about other songs, like, just makes me want to dance. There's just there's something about like the fast salsa rhythms paired with her really incredible voice that mm-hmm. I'm always gonna wanna listen to. So that was what wanted to make sure we brought Celia as like the token woman, <laughs> which is such a mess. Um, <laughs> and and yeah, this particular song is from the the Fania era when she was involved with them.
1: Yeah. And I mean obviously like we've brought Celia before to the podcast. She's incredible and she like really like She really upgraded them, I have to say. Like, Mm. she's just, like, such, I mean, she's Celia. There's nothing else to say. Yeah. And
2: maybe we can look at reggaeton and say, well, maybe there's been some progress. Because while there aren't that many women, there's more than one, (laughs) you know, involved in the reggaeton scene today. Right.
1: Well, this is, like, one label, right? Like, so it's, like. But but still, yeah, it's, like, it sucks. It sucks that like, they're like it's like such a small
2: right. Number. And if they had been more welcoming to women, like who would we who who are we missing out on? You know, like right like the people yeah.
1: like who did we miss out on the people people like Ruu Ru, uh,
2: sorry the people like Rouen, right who started the mail room like you know it's not like would he have right. gotten to this point on his own? I don't know. It sounds like they really gave him an opportunity, and obviously he's really talented,
1: but. Yeah, and who, like, what women did they not give opportunities to, right? Like, it's not like they gave Celia a shot. Like, Celia, like, did them a favor, you know? Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. She was helping them out by being part of their world. Yeah, and I mean, she really started her career in Cuba and was able to transition into the United States. Um, So, Mm -hmm. yeah.
1: All right, should we do our next song? Yeah, let's do it. So, our next song is by Cho Feliciano, and it's called El Raton.
3: Mi gato se está quejando, que no puede vacilar, si donde quiera que se mete, su gata lo va a buscar, de echar a correr
1: Uh, so Cheo is a really, really important salsa vocalist. Again, part of like the like the Fania uh, crew. Um, and yeah, he's just like a really, really powerful voice in salsa. He's Afro-Puerto Rican, born in Puerto Rico, and then like so many people settled in Spanish Harlem, right? Or East Harlem. And, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, he's one of like the all-stars, right? Like one of the people that came to define what salsa became, what salsa is today. Um, and this song, I think, is just a classic. And it's just about a, like, a gato that's trying to run around, but his gato's got, like, a tight strings on him, you know? Like, mm. <laughs> he's, like, he's, like, like trying to run around is, on like, his Yeah, on his, his girl. Boy. But he's, like, yeah. it's solo un ratón. But the gato's, like, nabu. I got my eye on you. You're so mm. trifling.
2: Mm. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, I... You could definitely see that theme in lots of reggaeton today,
1: right? Like this, well, you can the see that theme con- in lots of music in general. I know. But
2: I know. I'm saying the themes have continued, right? The themes stay, stay classic.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think... I I just, like, I keep thinking about how influential, like, this scene and New York um, really was in the shaping of, of, like, of these rhythms, right? Of, like, what you hear, like, in this song. And, like, even, like, thinking about, like, Boogaloo, which is not what Fania was doing, but, like, what sort of came before Fania. And then they're like, okay, like, there's a way to do, like, a sound that's, like, you know, both New York and also that talks about like what are that's about what we what we've been listening to as kids like what latinos have been listening to like where bugaloo is like a mix of rmb and latin rhythms and like cardi's i like it samples like this iconic bugaloo by pete rodriguez right mm-hmm. so like um i just keep thinking of like new york and how like young diasporic people in new york like cheo were inspired by what was around them and Um, and what, and like, what were like, and also like their history and like their like diasporic culture to create something totally new. And now it's like this kind of stuff is, you know, we could, we like, I can't imagine Latino music without it.
2: Mm -mm. No way. No way. I know it's wild to think that it could have not happened if it hadn't been for these places that, that created this mix of folks
1: yeah yeah that's the thing is that like people sometimes like history seems inevitable but like when you like look at it it's just like a lot of coincidences a lot of choices that people make a lot of like you know like um really small things that add up Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: some might say it's like fate (laughs) but yes it's true yes if you are a believer in fate if you're a believer in in fate or some sense of path yeah yeah. yeah but no it's wild it's also so like what would my life be without it you know it's like I can't actually imagine that it's such a central part <laughs> of of who I am and of how I grew up and of what like feels like part of my identity even you know even though it's like my people were not I actually had a little bit of family that went to New York le- mm. after leaving Cuba but most of my family was in Miami you in know, Miami some, yeah like most, yeah so it's most not like Cubans, I have yeah yeah I don't have a lot of roots in that arena, but that music definitely traveled and and was such a big part of my parents' lives as young adults and then mine as a kid as well.
1: Yeah, so. yeah, for sure. I mean, my family wasn't here back then, but right. um but like this stuff, like I said, it was like legendary and traveled the globe, like including South America where mm-hmm. they were, right? So Right. Right. Yeah.
2: Do you know if the if the dancing part of it was also kind of new to the Fania era I have no idea yeah I don't know if the dance was like the way we dance salsa if that comes from sort of the the older stuff from Cuba or if that has also changed with the I mean I'm sure it's, it's changed and evolved but yeah
1: yeah so yeah alright what is
2: your last song so my last song is called Sonero and it's by Johnny Pacheco and Pete El Conde Rodriguez that I was listening to different songs from this era by these folks and it was like this just sounds so classic to me Um, and I immediately loved it within like the first few seconds of listening to it. Um, We've talked about Johnny Pacheco a little bit. He's the one of the creators of Fania um, along with uh, Jerry Masucci, the Italian guy that we've been referencing and Johnny Pacheco's Dominican and just like a total legend, a total legend. Mm-hmm. Um, and he collaborated a lot with Pete Rodriguez, who's a Puerto Rican um, singer, also Afro-Puerto Rican. Um, and they released like tons of albums together, the two of them, as a collaboration. And this song is from 1971.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Like when Johnny Pacheco got started, he was like a band leader, like of Cuban music, right? Which like, mm-hmm. we talked about it was like the music that was, um, that was the latino music that was available in the united states at the time yeah Yeah, popular at the time and he is credited with coining the term salsa Mm,
2: that's so interesting i would love to know the story of that like what yeah where that word came from
1: yeah yeah
2: it's like not even a word that i think about someone inventing you know because it just seems so instrumental you know but yeah i guess all these things evolve at some point and yeah, son, you know, I don't know if that's the what the sonero is referencing, but son is one of the sort of Cuban um, genres that predates salsa and that that they were influenced by in creating this music. Is there anything else we want to say about Fania?
1: Yeah, I mean, okay. I would just recommend that y'all like do some reading. There's a podcast that has, it's called Laura Faniatica, which is like, oh, wow. um, which is like all about Fania. And like I said, there's this PBS documentary that's like one of the capitulos is all about fania so this stuff is super classic super important to the way that music latino music in the united states like developed and came up and affected like and how people in the latino diaspora shape what latino music is even in latin america right so it's a super important stuff i'm really glad that we're finally able to um dedicate an episode to this so Please learn more. This is just like such a tiny tip of mm-hmm. a huge, huge iceberg. Yeah, exactly. We're just sharing what we
2: what we know from what we've learned and what we've researched, but there's so much more depth and hopefully you've enjoyed our sort of somewhat deep, but still very superficial dive into some of the mm-hmm. folks that, that made up Fania and some of the amazing music coming out of this, this particular moment. Yeah, we'll put whatever. a link in the show notes to some of the things that we referenced like the PBS documentary and podcasts and things if you want to check out more
1: about Tifania. All right, y'all. Thank you so, so much for listening. And we've been talking about this for the last couple episodes. So I want you to know that we finally know that we're going to launch our merch store next week. And we're so, so excited about it. We've been like shooting the photos and like designing the things and working with... Distributors and like all of these different things, and it's been so much work. But we're so excited to finally bring it to you next week!
2: Yes, yeah, so please check out, you'll find it on there's going to be a tienda, there's a tienda tab on our website. Um, you can find our Instagram. If you're like super thirsty and really want to be one of the first to hear about it, um, you can join our newsletter, which I'll put a link in the show notes too. And we even might have a little special discount code for our newsletter subscribers. So that's a good reason to join if you haven't already. Um, and yeah, we're, I've just been, I've been rocking my pin from the store like for a week or two and I've already like <laughs> sold three of them to friends because they were so excited about it. So cute! y'all are going to love it. I think. I, can I feel hope it. so. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, stay tuned for that and, um, check us out every Friday. We'll be taking a, a brief kind of hiatus in August and part of September, but we'll probably be putting up some old content, um, for y'all who are not cut up to check out while we are on a little bit of vacay.
1: Yes, we are going to take a little break soon. Much needed.
2: Yep. As always, thanks for listening and you can... Um, follow us on social media at Manea. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And check out all of the information about these songs and videos and anything else you mentioned in our show notes on radiomanea.com.
1: Thank you. Ciao. Bye. Bye.